Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this podcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is for customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. Security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and investment advisor with over 20 years of experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I have an MBA in finance, also a Dave Ramsey SmartVestor Pro, as are you. Yes, Dr. we are. Marbert. We are both SmartVestor Pros. Absolutely. Excited about that. I've been uh, helping corporations and individuals for over 20 years uh, with financial planning and investments. We're excited to have you listen to us on our weekly show here. Our podcasts are exclusively up every Friday afternoon now. Um, so you can catch us on iTunes. You can catch us on our website, moneymd.net. Yeah, and you can go to, to moneymd.net. Steve, there's a, a link in the right-hand corner that uh, you can access all the podcasts. We have them broken down into different topics, so you can go back and catch a particular show or a particular topic that you want to listen to and um, just check us out on your leisure. Exactly. No excuse for not listening to the Money Doctors this week. And do check us out on our, money, on our website, moneymd.net, where you can link to us there and ask us your questions. We would love to hear from you. And you can also reach us directly by email at info at moneymd.net. Well, uh, John, you know, I think we have a great show lined up for today. Um, in fact, we are uh, we're talking about the markets. We're talking about uh, shopping tips. Yeah, we've we got, got a lot of good stuff here. It's loaded here. We're going to start off with an article from CNBC. And see, this is really interesting. The title of it is, is why the sell everything crowd has really been wrong. And some really big names out there that have been calling for uh, markets to go down. And they've done exactly the opposite. We're going to dive into that a little bit. And don't want to say we told you so. But, I mean, this is what markets do. No one can predict them. I don't care how smart you are or how much access to information you have. No one knows the direction. We do know that they do go up more than they go down. That's right. So, yeah, we're going to dig into why that is, that all these you know, naysayers about the market were wrong this time. So we'll, that's going to be a great topic. And then we're also going to talk about shopping tips to save big. You know, I mean, there are techniques you can use to save a ton of money when it comes to shopping. And people have bad habits when it comes to shopping. That's the problem. Just They're, don't go. They're bad hat. That's that's the right answer. You're right, John. But if you do go shopping, okay. there are ways right. to do it. We have ten tips here to make your shopping experience much more successful and save you a ton of money. So tune in for that. So stay tuned for that. Um, but we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the Employee Benefit Research Institute. And Steve, it's interesting how retirement has changed over the last 25 years. Back in 1991. of American workers expected to be retired by the age of 65, and today that number has dropped significantly to only 57%. So most people, and we see that coming in, um, our front doors, people are saying, hey, I'm going to work till 66, 70, you know, and and, um, that's just a different mindset than it was 25 years ago. So I think some things probably have changed. Yeah, they really have. I mean, one of them, obviously, is companies are not offering pension plans right. like they used to. So you don't have that pension at age 58 like all the folks out at SRS do where you can count on it. And, wow, you can just retire. It's the natural age to retire because that's when your pension kicks in. Now it's up to your 401K. 
And Social Security, of course, doesn't kick in until 62. That's not enough yeah. for most people. 62 at a much reduced rate. A much reduced rate, 70% for people our age. Mm-hmm. So, you know, most people are sticking around now to age 65 if they can. Plus, we're living longer. Yeah. So another good reason to work longer. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, there's a balance there. There is a balance. Yeah, I'm not saying you should work 80 hours a week. That's John, right. But, that's you know, right. I mean, maybe, maybe 30, 40, you know. It's a phase two retirement. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's a great fact of the week. Okay, and that leads up to our first topic here. Um, why the, the, the naysayers, the talking heads out yeah. there are so wrong once again. Yeah, interesting, Steve. This is from Jeff Cox. And, um, you know, if you believe it's time to sell, you're in a pretty lofty club. I mean, folks like Jeff um, Gunlich and uh, Bill Gross, Carl Icahn, they're all members of this club of, of selling. That's just named, to name a couple of them. And, you know, many investors, in fact, have taken up the bearish calls. Um, they're yanking money from the U.S. Uh, stock market and shifting it. In some cases, overseas, some some cases are going to cash. Uh, we do see emerging markets um, doing very well. They had the largest inflows ever um, of cash going in there. Bonds are raking in money. Uh, that reflects you know pervasive risk aversion that's uh, really dominating the retail investor sentiment at this point. So, of course, Steve, this is a perfect setup, right? For yes, a market it is. rally, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Not a drop. Most people wouldn't view it that way, but. Um, you know, we're not trying to predict the markets. No one can do that, so don't take that the wrong way. Um, but, you know, a, despite a decidedly mild downturn in late July and in early August, the stock market has met all the pes- pessimism with a convincing upturn. And if you look at the S&P 500, it's up, you know, 6 to 7% year-to-date. Uh, it staged a, a, a tremendous rally from the February lows, almost 19% increase. And that was a time that it seemed the U.S. markets were descending into what was going to be a prolonged funk. So, again, no one sat in there in, in February and saying, hey, now's the time to buy. I mean, most people were calling for gloom and doom. Yeah, that's exactly right. Despite all the naysayers, the market took off following February's drop. So it's interesting. Yet, yet some of the market's biggest names are still in the sell-everything camp as Gunlock, um, mm-hmm. the widely followed often – President, uh, CEO of Double Line Capital, described in his philosophy in a recent interview, he said the artist Christopher Wool has a word painting: sell everything, or sell the house, sell the car, sell the kids. <laughs> and he said that's exactly how I feel: sell everything. Nothing here looks good. Gunlock told Reuters here recently. He said the stock market should be down massively, but investors seem to have been hypnotized by the nothing can go wrong idea. <laughs> you know, I think that's funny. I mean, you, we also hear these comments occasionally from clients, you know, that are kind of the doomsdayers that are being very conservative. Um, and, and they're they're almost angry when the market defies them and still goes up. I mean, it just goes to show how unpredictable the market is. It really is. And there's a gentleman named Nick Colas. He's a chief marketing strategist at, at Convergex. Um, and he's been keeping a tally, Steve, on these big-name bearish forecasts in addition to Gunlock. And it seems um, sounds something like this. Stan Druckenmiller, he is um, a, a pretty well-known uh, investor out there. He basically said at, a, at May the 4th at a conference, get out of the stock market. George Soros, as reported in the Wall Street Journal, he's um, the billionaire hedge fund founder and philanthropist, recently directed a series of big bearish investments, according to people that, that were close to the matter. Another guy, Carl I- Icahn, June the 9th on, on CNBC, 
he says, I don't think you can have near zero interest rates for much longer without having these bubbles explode. Um, you know, so, you know, there's another person, Bill Gross. You've heard that name before yep. in his monthly investment letter. He said, I don't like bonds. I don't like stocks. I don't like private equity. So, you know, the four prominent investors were not immediately available to respond to CNBC's request for the comment. But, you know, when you have a cluster of, of uh, hedge, hedge funds managers and people that um, have, you know, a lot of information, um, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people think you ought to listen to them. Exactly. Because right? they're smart. They think they're credible and they have, they have information we don't have. Yeah, which is not true. I mean, everything is built into the market. And, you know, the market calls are decidedly contrarian at a time when the market is enjoying, you know, a, a really powerful stretch. So there are a lot of people out there that are negative, 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 and the market has continued to, to go up. Now, we've had some blips along the way, and guess what? We'll have blips in the future. That's the way it works. That's right. Exactly. So, yeah, so the question is, what do these guys that are the market gurus supposedly know that the rest of the market doesn't know, you know? And and so in this article, they take a stab at it here. They said, well, they're they're worried over escalating geopolitical events like terrorism or the destabilizing catalysts that are out there, other ones that are out there. Every senior hedgy that they've ever met has a solid pipeline into senior global policymakers, past and present. And the only thing that would spook everyone from Soros to uh, to Gunlock is geopolitics. Mm-hmm. So that was their number one idea. And their other idea here is, you know, they all think the world has drifted too far from what they believe is a sustainable economic or social model. Soros must feel that his geo, uh, his globalist worldview is deeply under threat from Brexit and now Donald Trump. And, of course, you know, he would always be bearish if he saw the world moving in the direction that he thought was retrograde and unhealthy. Um, but as for the Bond guys, they had they have had it drummed up in their heads that ever since Volcker and the Fed's credibility um, is the be-all, end-all of analyzing monetary policy, and now that the Fed seems behind the curve, they're freaking out. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think, to me, this just shows that their arrogance and believing that they can predict the market, you know, is their downfall, the reason why they get it wrong. They just think they think they can figure it out. Yeah, that's right. And it's dangerous. I mean, we see people that try to time the market. It doesn't work out well. And history, both distant and recent, suggests that given similar conditions, the more market is more likely to rally than retreat. Um, there's a gentleman named Jeffrey Salt. He's a, a chief investment strategist at Raymond James. Has has what may sound like a, a less than comforting reason why he's remained a bull. He thinks the market has decoupled from the fundamentals, which I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that. I mean, you look at the earnings forecast no. and they're they're reasonable. But you know, recently, um, you know, there's been a weak state of earnings. There was a three and a half percent second quarter decline, um, and that continued a streak of five negative corner uh, quarters. You know, of negative earnings. So there has been some negative news out there. But the markets are forward-looking, right? They're exactly. These guys are always looking in the rearview mirror, trying to justify why the market should drop. And what they don't, what they never seem to admit is that the market is a is an e- a forward economic indicator. Mm-hmm. It's a leading economic indicator. So it's always based on things that are going to happen in the future, usually like a year out. So, and that's unpredictable. Yeah. These guys can't predict it. Well, there's another uh, point here. Um, Bank of America has a 
a, uh, a technical analysis um, that looks at stock-to-bonds ratio. And when one side gets out of whack, it's a good sign the market's going to move in the other direction. The indicator has been uh, flashing a major buy sign, but, but they came out and the firm, uh, the equity strategist basically warned in May that the market um, fundamentals were going to cause a 15% drop. So imagine if you would have read that in a headline as an investor and you said, hey, there's a guy who has a technical program that says the market's going to drop 15 and you get out of it. Right. You know, and a lot of people do that. So We hear that all the time. When one of those comes out in the news, you know, client will call us and ask us those questions about what does this mean? Is there any credibility to it? And, you know, I mean, nine times out of ten, it's just yeah, it's just some formula they cocked up and it, it doesn't work. That's right. That's right. Salt and a number of other Wall Street strategists, they see longer-term indicators particularly the length of time that it took between new all-time highs as historically accurate predictors that the most likely direction is up. I mean, again, who knows which direction it's going to go. It's based on corporate earnings. No one can predict it. So, you know, be diversified as you go through your investing life. Yeah, and the way they explain it here is, you know, as things have progressed so far, at least the fundamentals are losing and the technicals and the central banks are winning. And then there's the Fed. You know, and in their term... At least, uh, there's virtually no chance, they say here, that the U.S. Central Bank is going to stand in the market's way by raising interest rates. Um, Fed funds future contracts indicate just a 46% chance that the Fed was likely to raise interest rates by the end of the year. But I would add in, you know, that's unpredictable, too. That can change in a heartbeat oh, if we get some positive. One data point, yeah. One data point, they can change that very, very quickly. You know, and still investors are pulling cash from the market. Equity mutual funds, which are more closely reflect retail investors' behavior than short-term exchange-traded funds, they've seen $173 million of outflows this year, according to the Bank of America Merrill Lynch. And the, the money is flying into ETFs that are playing the emerging market trade, is what they're saying. So money's leaving U.S. stocks, heading into emerging markets. Yeah. That's the current flow. And I bet you some of it's going to cash, too, it would be my sure, guess. So, sure, You know, to, to kind of wrap this up, Steve, you know, the, so while the sell everything, you know, theme may be um, kind of out there among Wall Street and some of the most influential minds, it may not make for the best investing strategy. <laughs> That's exactly right. So, I mean, that's a great way of putting it. It's just, just you can't predict the future. These folks that make predictions, we've seen the studies, they're accurate less than half the time. So if you're making decisions based on headlines and things that you're hearing or reading, it's that's not a good strategy. But better strategy, as we've talked about, be diversified, have a plan, and, uh, you know, a lot of times just turn off the news media. <laughs> not yeah. us. Don't not us. We don't listen to us. We're not <laughs> the talking heads. But turn off the talking heads. Yeah, I mean, that noise out there they think they know what they're talking about they're just making they're just trying to make news it's entertainment it's entertainment you know they can't predict what's going to happen next week and that's what's going to affect the stock market not what's happened so far this year going forward yeah so good topic okay and that leads us up here to our question of the week which leads us to the next prediction steve what's the market going to do if trump wins Oh, that's a great question, John. Here, uh, you know. Let me see. Uh, it's going to go up, and then it's going to go down uh-huh, some, and then right. it's going to go back up again. Okay. 
And yeah, markets are going to do what markets do. That's right. They'll go up and down. Up know, and down. And they'll go up and they'll down. Probably trend upward, which is what they've done historically over time. Hey, now I will say that you know the markets don't like uncertainty, and that's why there's some people. Don't, uh, I think Trump is a um, kind of a wild card, is how he's described. So it gives some people pause, but you know it's really more about policies, um, Congress, who holds control of Congress, capitalism, taxes, things like that, and. And those policies and procedures um, will will drive, you know, you know, they will help shape corporate earnings. Corporations are out there looking for new ways, new technologies, new customers, and so forth. That's going to ultimately drive the market. That's exactly right. That's right. Good question of the week. Okay. And that leads up to our next topic here, and that is shopping tips to save big. Um, yeah, this is a good article it's out of my year without clothing clotheshopping.com interesting <laughs> is that, website is that really a website but you know she wrote a good article here about you know some some tips here and uh yeah obviously it was a lady who wrote this article but um you know saving money living on a budget that can only be successful if we know how to shop smart and keep the bin shopping under control and for some people that's not a problem because they're inherently thrifty and they're savers but for most of us, over-shopping is a huge temptation, and it threatens to derail even the best-laid financial plan. And with the ease of today's online shopping, I mean, the risk is as big as ever. Oh, it, it really so is. It's so easy to go online. Man, Amazon is just is amazing. It I mean, is. I find us on there every day. Now, shopping for things that we that we use every day but and all you have to do is breathe wrong and you bought it Mm -hmm. i mean they got it that good they make it easy they make it easy one One click click, boom it's coming it'll be on your be on your doorstep before you even realize you bought it it's free shipping that's right (laughs) they're good at it you got to give them credit yeah but regardless of how thrifty you are i mean everyone has their area where they're tempted to overspend you know i did some planning with a lady here a number of years ago and she had the worst spending problem I had ever seen, John, and I have ever seen to this day. Um, yeah, I mean, I figured out that she she averaged about $5,000 every time she went online <laughs> in, a, in the few months of spending that I analyzed for her. I mean, she was shocked and, and, and dismayed, really, to find out that she had spent $68,000 in one month, and she couldn't account for most of it. <laughs> Um, you know, for her, antiques was her big temptation. You know, of course, I mean, this was an extreme example, but everyone really does have their area of risk, and it can easily derail your plan. Fortunately, there are some simple techniques here that will help you to avoid overspending and will save you big when it comes to shopping. So here are the 10 money-saving techniques for smart shopping and saving money. Yeah, number one here on the list, Steve, is, is shop with a list. It's very simple, but this is the our number one tip, and it's for good reason. I mean, a lot of people overspend or buy things they don't want, they don't need, they end up never using because they haven't prepared properly. I mean, this is your hard-earned after-tax cash and your time as well that you're spending. So, you know, it's worth a few minutes of preparation. So before you set off on your shopping trip, you know, prepare. I mean, review what you already have in your closet, cupboards, you know, home, garage, whatever, and then write a list of gaps, that things that you'll need when you go to the store, and make sure they're, they're genuine needs 
not frivolous, um, you know, wants and, and things like that. And there's certainly a big difference between the two. And, you know, finally, remember to use that list when you shop. I mean, that list will be no good crumpled up on the bottom of, of, of your, your car floor or jammed into your pocket. You know, use it and only buy things that are on that list. So great tip. That's a great one. Yeah, great that's, to start off. that's a number one for a reason. That's a good one. Shop with the list. Next one here is to set a budget for each spending trip. <gasps> Steve. I know, the B word. I hate to use it, the word budget. That's right. Um, But this is important. You know, many people, they overspend on things they don't want, need, or can use because they had no parameters around their spending. You know, it's not a smart way to shop. You need to set a ballpark figure on what you're going to spend on this trip, you know, what's comfortable for you to spend, and what makes sense for you to spend on this shopping trip. You want to feel great about the shopping trip long after the ink has faded on the receipt. Mm-hmm. And one way to do that is to make sure you don't buy more than you can afford. So set up, set your budget. You know, and just like the list, stick to it. Whatever your budget is, $50 or $500, stop shopping once you hit that limit. So set a budget before That's you good. go shopping. I like that. Say, we're going to spend, you know, whatever it is, a mm-hmm. couple hundred dollars this trip. Have an estimate of that and don't stick to it. So that's a good one. Next one on the list is pay with cash when at all possible. Now, this is one of the old ones from Larry Burkett, yeah. you know, back in the day. Yeah, um, so like Dane Ramsey as well. Exactly. You know, I mean, everybody today wants to use the credit card. They want to use their debit card. But research is clear. You pay 20 to 50% more when you shop with the magic plastic, whether it's a credit card or a debit card, there's something about that magic plastic that can make us feel like we're using Monopoly money, (laughs) play money. Yeah, like it's not real. Unfortunately, those credit card fees are very real, and so are those payments. So once your list is prepared and you have a realistic budget you can stick to, withdraw your funds in cash and use only cash for that shopping trip. Pay with cash. Paying with cash feels more real, and you know that's what you want. You want to connect. You want to reconnect to the shopping experience so that you only buy things that you genuinely need and will use. You'll save a fortune, and the impulse buys will seem far less alluring if you pay with cash. Yeah, that's a good one too. I like that one. The next one here is set a time frame. I don't really have an issue with this. I don't, um, you know, really like like to spend a no, lot of time. No, right. In there, Us guys are not like that. No. We're like go for the kill and get out of there. <laughs> That's right. So don't allow yourself to meander around a shopping center in aimless fashion. I mean, many people, you know, use this uh, as an activity. Uh, they like going to the mall and kind of hanging out, and you know, that's not a strategy we would promote or advocate. I mean, if you want to shop smart, um, this isn't the way to go. So you know, no meandering. Um, you know, around places. You've got to set a specific time frame that you'll complete your shopping. And once that time's over, time to go. You know, your, your time is too valuable to spend it mindlessly anyway. I mean, you know, a lot of better things to do um, from family to, to projects and so forth. And once you've bought all you need and, and nothing you don't, stop shopping, turn, turn your attention to something else for the day. So set that time frame and then move on. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Set a time limit. I like that. Next one here is to pick a time that's best for you. I mean, shopping can be a fatiguing and stressful activity if you don't shop at the right time that works well for you. When you're shopping in the malls and the stores that are the most busiest at, you know, at their most busiest time, such as late night shopping or Saturday mornings, 
you know, that can lead to shopping fatigue where you end up stressed and irritable. And that's not the best state to be in for making smart shopping decisions. So remember that our physical environment affects us and the overcrowded, jostling environments like congested shopping centers rarely bring out the smartest decision in anybody. Tammy used to go shopping for Christmas in the middle of the night. Oh, like that, that's a great idea. Because no Actually, one's there. If you're up and you're, yeah. you're comfortable with it, yeah, you might be a little tired, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's be a little grumpy, but there's yeah. no one there. So if that's your deal. Exactly. Um, yeah, so pick a time to shop when you're going to be at your most alert and positive, and make sure that you take regular breaks or, or shop for shorter periods to avoid becoming fatigued. Last-minute shopping the Saturday before Christmas it's probably not the best way to make good buying decisions. And that's kind of a guy thing. That's what we do. Yeah, and the next one's a guy thing, too, Steve, shop alone. I mean, yeah. we know women will hate this idea, but often, um, you know, that shopping partners are more akin to accomplices in, in crime. And, you know, they can egg us on to make purchases that we don't want or need and, and can have their own, sometimes unconscious, motives for encouraging us to shop. So perhaps... They feel a sense of competition or they want to live vicariously through us and our purchases. Whatever's going on for the other person, um, what they don't have to live with is the consequences of your shopping. Only you have to live with that. So, you know, if you want to go shopping as a social activity, you know, you limit those times like we talked about. But make sure it's purely social with no purchasing allowed. Window shopping or having a bite to eat together uh, is fine. But don't don't go, you know, buying things without a list, without having you know, some pre predefined, you know, goals for the trip. Yeah, I guess the point is don't make it a social experience right. experience. Right. If it is, it's not gonna turn out well. That's right. Yeah, financially. All right, next on the list here is don't shop when you're tired, hungry, lonely, bored, or upset. <laughs> so you gotta be in a good emotional state of mind. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean this is not an exhaustive list of emotional states that lead to some people to overshop and make bad decisions and end up buying things they don't want or need, but they are some of the most common emotional triggers that prompt people to shop unconsciously and therefore not smartly. You know, if you're feeling any of these emotions, if you're tired, you're hungry, you're lonely, you're bored, upset, don't go shopping. Do something else that you feel, you know, is more more emotional, keen to um Go exercise. I think that's my suggestion, right? Go. If you feel any of those things, don't go shopping, right? It's just not a good time. Guys, we go shopping when we're hungry. Grocery yeah, shopping, right, go right. that's a real bad idea. Yes, it is. We buy everything when we do that. Let's don't do that. All right, next one here is ask, do I really need this? Too many of us buy impulsively with no thought as to what we need or even want. Um, our hard-earned cash and even more precious time is wasted on things that have no place in our closets, our homes, and our lives. One way to short-circuit the impulse buying cycle is to imagine that you already own the item that you're considering buying. And I think that's a great technique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, fast forward to the thrill of the kill, through the thrill of the kill, and imagine that this item that you're holding in your hand right now belongs to you. You purchased it. And now it's yours. Imagine that it's in your closet or your home. Really see it there. And then consider if you're really still excited about it. Um, That's a good question because, 
you know, a lot of times, I mean, the shine is worn off just a little bit, um, probably a lot. And so many of us, you know, don't even consider for a moment if we really need this item. And so we end up taking things home that we never use or waste. So, yeah, I mean, and I think delaying your purchase is another mm-hmm. good item we'll talk about here in a minute. Yeah, so. I agree. Uh, number nine here on the list is remember that the salesperson is there to sell you. No matter how friendly or pleasant a salesperson is, here's the fact that you can't avoid. They're in it for the sale. Yes, you know, they can take care of you. Um, you know, and, and help you with your questions, but they want you to walk out with something. That's what they're there for, to sell you something or to maintain a relationship with you to make you coming back. That's their business. So salespeople, no matter how charming or helpful they are, um, they aren't there to be your friends. They, they may engage in friendly behaviors, but their purpose is singular to, to sell you something. So you got to make sure you avoid, you know, the salesperson if possible, unless you have specific questions um, that, that only they can answer. So just keep some of those keep those some of those things in mind. Yeah, be kind of covert when you go in there. Yeah, don't don't, right. don't let the salesperson latch onto you or else they're going to try to try to talk you into more than you yep. want. So that's a good one. Last one here on the list is don't buy just because it's on sale. I mean, sale really is a four-letter word. You know, it's usually accompanied by the word shoe, <laughs> and it's possibly responsible for more impulse shopping than almost any other word. So remember that a bargain is not a bargain if it doesn't fit correctly, if you don't love it, if it doesn't fill a legitimate gap for you. And, you know, if it's not all those things, then it's not a real need. So spending money on a $20 shirt, you know, a tool for us guys, shoes or makeup or DVD, scented candles, anything else that you might never wear or wear only once or is a waste of that $20. We justify it by saying, oh, it's on sale. You know, it's only $20. But those $20 add up. I mean, you wouldn't throw Andrew Jackson out the window, Mm -hmm. would you? No, no. No, sir, you wouldn't. So don't throw your hard-earned cash out the window on items that appear to be a bargain due to their discounted sales price. Only buy items on sale when it's something that's on your list and it's within your budget that you carry in the store with you, right? That's right. That's a good one. That budget word again. There you go, the B word. So, you know, keep these practices in mind the next time you head out of the store and you will save a bundle and you'll be on your way to financial freedom from overspending. Yeah, very good. So, good tip here. All right, and that leads us up to our last thing here, and that is the prescription of the week, which goes right along with this. The prescription this week is here's a way to help your kids as well as yourself avoid impulse buying. When you see something in the store that's not on your list and it's not a definite need, then delay it. Wait until next time you're there to buy it. Don't buy it on that trip. Our kids said that nine times out of ten when we had them do this, they never ended up buying the item. Yeah, it's a great item. So it's a big way to save a lot of money on impulse shopping. Yeah, just wait. Just wait. Just delay it. That's our tip for the day here. We'll end with that one. And uh, so this has been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next Saturday or next week um, for Money MD to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, Richard Young Associates, 706 739 0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Have a good one.